Hey, good morning, Harvest. How we doing? Good. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Genesis 4. We're going to be at the beginning of uh, the Bible. We're going to be in Genesis 4. Open um, your Bibles there. Um, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you know that we are in a series that is called Tearing Down Strongholds. You see it on the screen behind me. And what we have been doing over the past seven or eight weeks, and uh, it, man, this has been hard, but really, really good, is, is we're attacking what are the major idols that live in our heart? What are the major things in our life that that trip us up in our relationship with God? Like, what are the things that, man, it's like, this is the thing in my life that I can't seem to get past. All of us have these strongholds. It's a a common issue we all deal with. And we've talked about grumbling and complaining. We've talked about rebellion. We've talked about um, sorrow and and grief and not being able to to move past those things, all sorts of things. And um, today, if you have your notes out in front of you, you're seeing that we're going to talk about today Uh, the stronghold of sinful anger. Uh, Today, we're gonna talk about what do we do when we get angry? And and if I could be honest with you, today's message, as I have written it this week and have studied it, out of all of the strongholds we have done, this one's been the hardest for me to circle in on and and, and to communicate well and and to really nail down. And and here's why. Um, We all get angry, right? Anger is something that we all struggle with. And the problem is, is that anger in itself isn't a sin. And so when it comes to anger, it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white. It's not do this, don't do that. Like we've all heard, hey, when you're angry, just count to 10, right? Who's that actually worked for? Like no one. Um, It's not something that you can just say, do this simple thing and things will get better. But anger really reveals to yourself and to the Lord and to everyone around you what is actually going on in your heart. And this is something that we have to get right because if we don't get right, it will absolutely destroy our lives. So here's the big idea that's gonna kind of set the tone for where we're going, it's this. It's that anger in itself is not sin. How we respond to our anger most likely is, right? Anger in itself, being angry is not sin. Our issue is, is how we respond when we're angry oftentimes leads us in to all sorts of sin very, very rapidly. And we're going to look at a story today in God's word that is very clear, simple. It's a super famous passage of scripture. Most of you, even if you haven't grown up in the church, will be familiar with this story. But we're going to get our minds around the issue of anger and what does righteous anger and what does unrighteous anger look like in our lives. But before we jump into God's word this morning, what I need to do is is I need to take a moment and we need to start from the same place because there's something really important that we have to get right as a church before we talk about anger. And it's this, Um, anger and confrontation are not inherently sinful. And I know I've already said this a couple times, but this is something we have to understand and believe that anger and confrontation aren't inherently sinful. Can anger and confrontation be sinful? Absolutely. But just because they can be doesn't mean they inherently are, right? Think about God, God who is holy Without sin, sin can't even be in God's presence. He is oftentimes described in the Bible as angry. If you were with us last week, remember we talked about the story of Aaron and Miriam uh, conspiring against Moses in the wilderness? It, It said that God's anger burned against Aaron and Miriam for their rebellion. God is oftentimes angry with his people and confrontational with the leaders of Israel. And so here's what we need to understand. And give me your eyes for a moment. We have to understand that people are wired differently. 
And in our difference of wirings, we have different tendencies and different sin bends. And there are some people in this room who are very, very comfortable with anger and confrontation. In fact, it's unhealthy in their life and they blow up and it controls them and it's out of control and it is devastating their life. And we're gonna get to that in a moment. Some people live life angry. But I would say for most of us, this is probably a greater percentage of this room, anger and confrontation make us uncomfortable, right? Right, like confrontation is uncomfortable. I remember growing up, I would do something stupid. My parents would get mad at me and then guess what I would do? I would avoid my parents for a couple hours because I knew that they were mad. I knew that I had made them angry and, and it was uncomfortable. It was awkward. But what we do is, is because confrontation and anger make us uncomfortable, we wrongly believe that any expression of anger or confrontation is inherently wrong. And that's not true. And that's a problem we get ourselves in. I mean, think about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was a wildly confrontational leader? That Jesus was confrontational with his enemies? He was confrontational with the people he ministered to and the people he loved most. Right, think about Jesus's interaction with the Pharisees. He would go to the religious leaders and he would say things like, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You guys are snakes. You look like you're alive, but you're actually dead. He told the religious leaders exactly where they were going. He said, you guys are going to hell and you're taking the people of Israel with you. Right, there's a famous story where Jesus, when he is in the temple, he enters a courtroom or a courtyard of the temple and people are buying and selling things, which was against what God's desire for the temple was. And Jesus gets so angry, he turns over the, the, the tables and he fastens a whip. He makes a handmade whip and he drives out the money changers. I'm like, I would just say for a moment, I've been mad before, but I've never been so mad. I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go in the woods and I'm gonna get some bark and, and some thread and I'm gonna make a whip and I'm gonna go attack people with it. Like Jesus was physically confrontational with people. Very confrontational. I think about the people who Jesus loved, right? Do you remember that moment where Peter was like, hey, Jesus, you're not going to die and, and I'm not going to leave you and your plan, what you're saying has happened, I won't allow happen. You remember what Jesus said? He said, hey, get behind me, Satan. He says, you're gonna get on board with what I'm saying or you can get off the train. You don't think that would have led to an uncomfortable silence when Jesus calls you Satan? I think about when Jesus is hanging out with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You remember that story where Jesus comes and visits them and Jesus is hanging out in the house and sweet Martha is just trying to be a good hostess. So she's cleaning and she's making dinner and she's working and she's trying to serve everyone. And Mary, the other sister, is just sitting, hanging out with Jesus, listening to him teach. And Martha gets frustrated with Mary because she's like, look, I'm doing all the work and you're not helping me at all. And they start to bicker and argue. And Jesus says, hey, Martha, you're missing it. You've done a lot of good things, but you've missed the best thing. All of this effort to clean and to take care and all of this work, it doesn't mean anything when you missed me. Right? That was confrontational. Think about the time Jesus met with the woman at the well. Right? Jesus goes to a well in Samaria and there's only one woman there because she can't go when all of the other women go because of her reputation. And Jesus begins to talk to her. And then out of the blue, Jesus says, all right, let's talk about this thing with you sleeping around with everyone. Like someone who doesn't like confrontation doesn't ask that question, do they? They do small talk. They talk about the weather. Jesus wouldn't do that because he wasn't afraid of confrontation. 
Okay, but here's our problem is, is this part of Jesus makes us uncomfortable. So we create a picture of Jesus in our mind that is only sweet, passive, let the kids come to me, healing people, sitting on a hillside and praying. And what happens is, is I've been asked this question as a pastor before. They're like, how do you reconcile the God of the Old Testament who, who, who's angry and judgmental and, and, and strikes people down with Jesus who is only kind and loving and passive? Like, how can they be the same God? How do you reconcile these two? And my answer is, is it's easy to reconcile them. You just have to stop misrepresenting both of them. You can't pigeonhole God in the Old Testament as only angry. He is kind, he is gracious, he is patient, he is quick to forgive, he restores, he brings Israel along, he draws near to them, he defends them, he is good to his people. And you can't pigeonhole Jesus as only being meek and passive and laid back because that is not who he is. Jesus at times was angry, was confrontational, yet did not sin. And here's what I'm going to say. If you believe that any level of discomfort or confrontation or anger is sinful, you wouldn't have liked Jesus when he was on earth. He was a wildly confrontative leader. So anger in itself isn't sin. But what we need to wrestle with is when we are angry, is it sin? Because it can be sin. And then how are we responding? Are we responding in a way that honors the Lord? So look at Genesis 4. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 10. You guys will be familiar with this story. It says this. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So Cain spoke to his brother Abel. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. I am, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Okay, so it's really, really interesting what you see here. You see in Genesis 3 is when sin entered the world. Genesis 3 is the story of Adam and Eve eating of the forbidden fruit and God cursing them, kicking them out of the garden and sin entering the world. And in Genesis 4, we're already seeing Adam and Eve's descendants murder each other. This is the first recorded murder. And what God is showing us in Genesis is how quickly sin is accelerating. God had created the universe and world in perfection and sin is corrupting everything and it is corrupting things fast. And what we can see in this passage is there's four questions that we need to ask ourselves when we're angry. And the first one we see um, right off the beginning, it's this. It's, is my anger justified? When you are mad and when you're angry, the first thing that you should be asking yourself is, do I have the right to be angry. Is my anger justified? Right? Both Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice and offer it to the Lord. Abel brings a sheep because he's a farmer. Cain brings fruit. He, 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 uh, or Cain, Abel was a shepherd. He brings sheep. Cain was a farmer. He brings fruit. And what happens is it, it says that Abel's sacrifice is accepted. Cain's is not. And, and you need to understand, we don't know why Cain's offering wasn't accepted. Some scholars believe that God demanded a blood sacrifice. So because 
Cain brought fruit and not a lamb. That's why it was rejected. We don't know if that's true or not, but what we know is Cain did something wrong. He either brought the wrong thing, he didn't bring his best, or maybe his heart was just in a bad place, right? Have we ever been there before where we're doing all of the right things on the outside, but our hearts aren't engaged in it, right? Some of you are doing that right now. You're here, you're in church, you're doing the right thing, but your heart is somewhere very, very far away. Maybe Cain's heart was just in a bad spot. But what you need to see is as the Lord saw through it, he regarded Abel's sacrifice, but not his brother Cain. And look halfway down in verse four. It says this, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Right, so, so Cain's sacrifice isn't regarded and Cain gets angry. Um, can I ask you a question? Is Cain's anger justified? Does he have the right to be angry? Yes or no? Give me a thumbs up or thumbs down. What do you think? Some thumbs up. I'm gonna give it a thumbs down on this one. He did something that was wrong. God didn't sin against Cain. Abel didn't sin against Cain. There was something invalid in the sacrifice of Cain. And if Cain were to be angry at anyone, it would have to only be himself. But that's not what's happening here. He is angry at God and he is angry at his brother. The right emotion should have been humble repentance, but that's not where Cain's heart goes. And here's the thing. Sometimes our anger is absolutely justified. Uh, Mary called me Monday morning this week, and, and I answered the phone, and, and usually, you know, Mary is so sweet, and she's like, hey, honey, how you doing? Uh, she wasn't like that on Monday. I picked up the phone, I was like, hey, Mary, and all she said was, Cal, I am so angry at Judah. And I'm like, oh, no, what happened? I'm kind of thankful she's not angry at me, and it's Judah this time. And uh, I'm like, okay, so that, that's win number one, and I'm like, what happened? And she goes, well, I'm driving the kids to school, and we leave Spring Lake, and we come over the bridge, which is full of construction, so it's a pain to get across the bridge these last few weeks, and we are pulling up to school, and Judah all of a sudden goes, hey, uh, mom, I'm not wearing shoes right now. Okay, Judah's six, he's in kindergarten, he's been going to school every day for a year. Like, we're in May. He should know by now that you need to wear shoes out in public. And he's like, yeah, I'm not wearing shoes. So Mary's like, I didn't say anything for a couple minutes. Then I looked at the kids and said, Judah, you need to apologize to your brothers and sisters because they're all going to be late now. We had to fight back through traffic, get back home, and then go to school, and everyone was late. Like, what was he thinking? All right, there's justifiable anger there, right? Judah turned his brain off on Monday, and that happens with kids, but it doesn't mean it's not frustrating. When someone lies to you, it's okay to be angry. When someone talks behind your back, when someone sins against you, when you are hurt, when you are misrepresented, it's not wrong to be angry. Sometimes anger is justified, but there are a lot of times where our anger isn't justified. There's a story in the the book of Jonah. Remember, Jonah was the prophet that wouldn't go to Nineveh, so he got swallowed up by a a fish. Well, after he gets spit out by the fish, Jonah goes to to Nineveh, and, and he preaches a message. He says just a few words. He says, in a few days, judgment will come because God sees your sin. And God does this miracle in the people of Nineveh where they confess their sin, they repent, they turn to the Lord, and God spares the people of Nineveh. And uh, what's really interesting is, is Jonah's not happy about it. And Jonah hates the Ninevites. They're, they're the enemies of Israel. And what Jonah does is he sits on a hillside and he wants God to destroy them. And he's angry. He's angry at God for being gracious. He's angry at um, 
the people of Nineveh for, for ruling over Israel. He's waiting to see judgment come down on the people. And then God shows up to Jonah and he says, Jonah, why are you angry? You have no right to be angry. I have not sinned against you. You have not created these people. You don't love them like I love them. I'm allowed to show favor on who I show favor to. You have no right. Church, look here. When your boss asks you to do something you don't want to do, it's not your right to be angry. It's not your pay grade. You don't get to make the decisions. You don't run the company. You don't get to be angry about decisions made above your pay grade. Students, when you get a bad grade on a test because you didn't study, you don't get to be angry about that. Your parents get to be angry at you about that, but you don't get to be angry. It's a consequence of your decision. Parents, when your house is loud because you have four kids under the age of eight, you don't get to be mad about that. You signed up for it. You're getting exactly what you signed up for. When we are angry, we need to ask the question, is my anger justified? Here's the second question we need to ask. Is, is my anger rightly aimed? Is my anger rightly aimed? You see, Cain's anger turned towards his brother Abel, but Cain's issue was not an Abel issue. Abel had not wronged Cain. He had not embarrassed Cain. He was not rubbing Cain's failure in his face. Abel was doing his own thing, honoring the Lord, and he got killed for it. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we take out our anger from one issue on to other people who didn't cause the problem and who didn't deserve it. And church, here's what's heartbreaking, and you guys know this to be true. Isn't it the people that we love most and are closest to, aren't they the ones that most often quickly deal with the brunt of our anger and frustration about things that have nothing to do with them? And it hurts them, and it's unfair, and it's wrong, and it breaks relationships. Men, look at me. I don't care how bad your day was. I don't care how stressful your job is. I don't care how bad things went. You don't get to bring your anger about work home with you. You don't get to take it out on your wife and kids. You don't get to be passive aggressive. You don't get to be angry and have a short fuse because things outside of their control are bothering you. It's always wrong. There are times when I have had to go home and I've had to tell Mary, hey, Mary, like, I love you. Um, I've had a really rough day. Can I just have 20 minutes to decompress? And I'm just gonna lay on my bed and close my eyes for 20 minutes because I need to be in a place where I can love you and love my kids well and not take home what's going on in my heart because of things that are happening at work or in other relationships. We don't get to bring it home with us and take it out on the people closest to us. Um, here's one. Um, we don't get to be angry at God. Like this is a, a, a phrase that has become very popular in the church where I'm just mad at God. And God needs to know that I'm upset with him. And oftentimes there's real pain in that and real reason to be angry. Maybe there's a cancer diagnosis or a relationship has fallen apart or a kid is rebellious or, or, or something is happening in your life. And the response is, I'm mad at God that God would allow this. Listen, God is never at fault for the difficult issues in our life. He doesn't sin. He's never sinned against us. He hasn't. We don't get to be angry. You can be angry at sin. You can be angry at the brokenness of the world. You can be angry at sickness and death and the results of sin. You can be angry at the people who've hurt you, but you don't get to translate that up to God because he doesn't deserve it. It's wrongly aimed anger. All right, here's the third thing we need to ask when we're angry. It's this. Is, is my anger proportionate to the situation? 
is my anger proportionate to the situation? And this is where things really start to get off the rails for Cain. They're like, listen, Cain had a bad day. He brought an offering before the Lord and it wasn't regarded. I don't think that needed to lead to murder, do you? But like, didn't things accelerate pretty quickly here? Like he could have said, all right, you know what? Next time I'm gonna do it the right way and I'm gonna do better and God will have regard for it and we can move forward. It was a disproportionate response. He could have been frustrated with Abel and they could have talked it out, but for it to lead to murder means that this anger and rage is truly controlling Cain. Here's what I would say. Think about it on a scale of one to 10. A level two offense on a scale of one to 10 never justifies a level eight response. You don't get to blow up at things that are not a big deal. You don't get to greatly exceed the offense. I remember one time when I was in fourth grade, I had tried out for and made my first ever traveling soccer team. And back then, fourth grade was the earliest year you could start doing traveling soccer. And I made this team super excited, but it was our first game, and I was super nervous. And the kids, we didn't know each other. We've only had a couple practices. We were all new. This was new for the parents. It was very, very nerve-wracking. And I remember our coach, um, he would always carry around with him a hot pink clipboard. Every practice and every game, he would have a hot pink clipboard in his hands. And the clipboard was so ugly, it's like seared into my memory. I don't even remember what our coach looks like, but I remember this hot pink clipboard. And uh, we were playing our first game, and very early in the game, in the first half, um, someone crossed the ball into the box, and that's where our forward is supposed to be to kick the ball in the goal. But our forward was out of position, and we missed the chance. So the ball got kicked in, but our forward wasn't there, so we didn't score. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue... I hear our coach start screaming and he takes his pink clipboard, smashes it on the ground, it shatters. And then he runs a string of expletives that if I communicated them to you, I would no longer be allowed to preach. Expletive, 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 expletive. And it was like, are you serious? It's our first game and we just missed one chance. How are you this angry? And what was interesting was I was on the field by where the fans were. And I heard the parents start talking to themselves. And they're like, who does this guy think he is? He's not gonna talk to my kids like that. And and the way the story ended was he wasn't our coach for very much longer. The parents didn't put up with it and he got removed. It wasn't proportionate. Listen, if a kid spills milk at dinner, it's frustrating, but it's a kid and it was an accident. Your response shouldn't be to blow up and to chew him out and to scream and make a scene. When the level of anger that you have over a situation greatly outpaces the offense against you, it's you that's the problem, not the offense. Cain's anger and rage was out of control and was very much not proportionate to what was going on in Cain's life. And then here's the last one, it's this. Um, We need to ask ourselves, is my anger causing me to sin? Is my anger causing me to sin? Other people's sin is never an excuse for our own sin. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. So to help us, me illustrate this, I've enlisted the help of one of the greatest American philosophers and writers in our country's history, Carrie Underwood. Do you guys know who Carrie Underwood is? She is, you can throw up the next slide. She is a uh, country singer. And um, about 10 years ago now, she wrote a song called Before He Cheats. And uh, the song is called Before He Cheats because it's a song about a time when she found out that a boyfriend of hers uh, was cheating on her because, well, it's country music and what else do you sing about other than being cheated on and having your dog die and really, really depressing stuff. 
So let's use Carrie Underwood's lyrics to see if she passed the be angry but do not sin tests. She writes, I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped up four-wheel drive, carved my name into his leather seats, took a Louisville slugger to both headlights. I slashed a hole in all four tires. Maybe next time he'll think before he cheats. Okay, so let's, let's, let's ask ourselves the question. Uh, did Carrie have a reason to be angry? Is her anger justified? I would say so, right? Like her boyfriend's not being faithful. He's cheating on her. He's with another girl. She has every right to be angry. Did she pass the be angry but do not sin test? Probably not. Somebody said, yes, I like that. I like your boldness. Like, yeah, if that, if that happens to me, it's coming for you too. No, no. Listen, at the point when you're walking around with a baseball bat smashing things, you really start needing to reconsidering your life choices, right? Like she took it too far, was angry, but her anger, she believed, was a justification for sin. All right, listen, I, I do want to be serious for a moment. You and I being angry justifies nothing for us. Understand that? And what I want to do right now is if I have your permission, I'd like to press in really, really specifically. So let me, let me ask this question. Well, first of all, let me, let me ask for your permission. If I have permission to press in right now, can you just tell me you have permission? Can you say that? Okay, I have permission with some of you. I'll take it. Here, here, here's what I would say. When you're angry, what words do you use? How do you talk when you're angry? What are the words that come out of your mouth when you're mad? Or do you justify language that you know is wrong and are things that you wouldn't say in plain life because you're angry? Do you lose control over your mouth? Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. James 3, 4 through 6 says, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder and wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a very small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. It's almost like 2,000 years ago, they still nailed us, huh? We don't get to lose control of our tongue because we're angry, right? Again, the big idea is anger in itself is not sin, but how we respond to our anger most likely is. Can I ask you this question? Does everything you say you believe in and stand for, does it fly out the window the second you're angry? Do you become a different person? This is our issue is we often lack self-control when we're angry, and so what I want to do now is, is we see Cain fail spectacularly in all four of these areas. And what I want to do now is I want to take a shift and I want to talk about how do I know if sin is, if this sinful anger, if it's controlling my life? Because there are some people in a room this size that have very real anger issues and it's out of control and it's destroying your life and it's a stronghold. So I want to talk about two signs that sinful anger, or sinful anger is a major stronghold in your life. Here's the first. You know it's a problem when anger causes you to lose control. When you're angry, are you still self-controlled or do you lose it? This was the warning of Cain's life. Look at verse six. It says, and the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. 
you see what God's saying to Cain? He's like, listen, your anger is going to destroy you if you let it. You've got to rule over your anger. You control it or it is going to control you. Do you lose control when you're angry? Here's a question. Do you black out when you're angry? Right? I've talked to people that are like, man, I got so mad that I just blacked out and I can't even remember what I did. Okay, that's not an excuse. That is the problem. If you get so angry that you black out, you have no control over your life anymore. Your anger is the thing that is piloting the ship. Do you get violent? Do you get physical? Do you slam doors? Do you punch walls? Do you lash out in anger? Is your family afraid of you when you're angry? Do people have to walk around eggshells? Are you abusive? These are signs that anger is controlling your life. And listen, this isn't a small thing. This is something that isn't just justified or swept under the rug or said it's gonna get better later. If this is you, you need to confess it, you need to repent it, and you need to reach out and get help today. Because just like God said to Cain, you control it or it controls you and its desire is to destroy you. Second way we know it's a problem, a major stronghold is when anger has become a lifestyle. When anger has become a lifestyle. Are you just an angry person You see, anger itself, again, this is where it's tricky. It's not inherently sinful, but when we choose to live in a place of anger, it is sinful because anger is not one of the fruits of the spirit, right? Our lives are supposed to be defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Anger's not on that list. So even though anger itself isn't always a sin, when we choose to live angry and when we choose to live life through the lens of everyone's out to get me and everyone's disappointed me and I'm always let down and you view people through their failings and their weaknesses and you don't forgive and you hold on to bitterness, anger has become a stronghold in your life. What's your reputation? What are the things that people know you by? All right, so as we get ready to close this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna look closely one more time at God's conversation with Cain because I think what we can do is is we can draw out three ways we honor the Lord in our anger when we see God talk to Cain. Look at verse six. It says, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Okay, here's the first way we honor the Lord in our anger. We need to do the right thing. We need to do the right thing. We have to do what's right. Do you see God say that to Cain right in verse six? He says, why are you angry and why have you fallen? Don't you know that if you do the right thing, you can get through this, you can get past this, you will be accepted. You can't stay in this place where where your emotions are dominating your life. You need to do the right thing. God is pleading with Cain, listen to me, He is pleading with Cain not to be driven by his feelings, but to be driven by his actions and his will. And sometimes, church, when we are angry, we have to do what love does before we feel what love feels. My wife often tells this story about our kids. So I have twin daughters um, who are two years older than our son, Bo. And Nora and Ashley, when they were really, really little, the weirdest thing happened. When, when Bo was born, even at like six months old, he could very, very clearly tell Nora and Ashley apart, which is crazy because they're identical twins. Like their grandpa can't tell them apart all the time still. But Bo, even as a young child, he knew who Nora and Ashley were. And, and Bo loved Ashley. And when Ashley would come around, he would smile and he would giggle and he would coo. And Bo couldn't stand Nora. 
And when Nora came around, he would swing at her, he would pull her hair, he would cry and fuss. So for like the first couple of years, there was a tension between Bo and Nora because Bo just decided, I don't like Nora, but I love Ashley. And this was hard for Nora and she was frustrated and she came to Mary and was just crying and frustrated about it. And so Mary goes, you know how we're gonna fix this? And Nora's like, what? And she's like, you're gonna start serving your brother. So when Bo wanted a toy, Mary would be like, hey, Nora, can you go get Bo his toy? And she would bring Bo his toy. Hey, can you grab Bo's PJs? She would grab Bo's PJ. Hey, would you read Bo a story? She would go get a book and read Bo a story. And she served Bo, and over that, their relationship changed. And Bo's heart softened towards his sister. Now they have a very, very loving and strong relationship because we had to teach Nora, you do what love does, and you trust that the feelings will follow. We don't get to not do what's right because we don't feel like it. And I know this goes against the grain of our culture, but we live in a world where feelings have been elevated to the highest priority in our life. That the thing that defines us most or what most people believe is most important is how we feel. And what God is saying, no, 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 it's not how we feel, it's what we do, right? This can even be a danger in this church. Right? If you're a part of a small group, there, there's a danger that you come to small group and all small group is, is you expressing how you feel about things. Well, this is how I feel and this is what I'm frustrated about and this is what, what, what I'm angry about. And those are good things to talk about at small group if we all have an agreement that, yeah, I'm gonna hold you accountable and I'm gonna tell you to, to do what's right and you're gonna hold me accountable and we're not just going to sit in a place of feelings, but we're gonna honor the Lord in our actions, trust that the feelings follow and we're gonna hold each other accountable to honor the Lord. You don't just get to sit in a place of feelings till they change. Students, if your parents set a curfew that you don't like, you don't have to process that or wait till you feel better about the curfew before you follow it. You have to follow it. If your boss makes a decision or asks you to do something you don't wanna do, you don't have to feel good about it before you do it. You gotta do what you've been asked to do. You don't get to keep people in relational purgatory. Do you know what I'm talking about? where when you're angry at someone, it's like, all right, I'm gonna be passive aggressive and distant and I'm gonna let you know I'm angry till you work yourself out of that place. You've gotta prove to me that you're worth forgiving and worth loving again because I'm angry and I don't feel like loving you. We don't ever get to do that. We've gotta forgive, we've gotta press in, we've gotta move towards reconciliation because that's what honors the Lord. And I understand that this moves against the grain of our culture and many in here don't like to hear this, but our feelings don't get to call the shots of our life. Here's the next thing we do to honor the Lord when we're angry is we need to offload our burdens onto the Lord. Offload your burdens onto the Lord. Don't miss what's happening in this passage. Do you see how kind God is with Cain? He's trying to prevent what's happening and he engages with Cain. He sees that he's angry and he's like, let me process this with you. Talk to me about it. Let me help you. Let me heal you. But Cain would have none of it. His mind was made up. And even though God intervenes and tries to help Cain, Cain won't listen. You understand that when God calls us to cast our cares on him and our burdens, he's talking about anger and frustration and hurt 
You understand that, right? That these burdens and and fears and anxieties, anger is a part of that. And God says, let me carry them. You can't carry them on your own. And actually, church, I want you to hear this. When we attempt to carry our anger on our own, it's actually sin in itself. Uh, Charles Spurgeon writes on this when he writes this. He says, for the very essence of anxious care is imagining that we are wiser than God and putting ourselves in his place. We attempt to think of things we imagine him forgetting. We work to take upon ourselves a heavy burden as if he were unable or unwilling to take it for us. Now this is plain disobedient to his clear precept. This is unbelief in his word. This is presumption that intrudes upon his province is all sinful. But more than this, anxious care often leads us to acts of sin. If we cannot calmly leave our affairs in God's hand, but attempt to carry our own burden, we will be tempted to use wrong means to help ourselves. This sin leads to a forsaking of God as our counselor and resorting instead to human wisdom. Right? This is what happened in Genesis 4. God is trying to counsel Cain. He's giving him good advice. Don't go this way. Don't let your anger control you. It's going to ruin you. He's trying to help, but Cain won't listen. He won't cast his cares onto the Lord. He does what he thinks is right in his own strength, and it leads to murder. Can I ask you a question? Do you pray when you're angry? Right, there have been times where it's like, God, I'm so mad that I know that there's no way that I'm going to handle this well unless you do something miraculous. And you've got to come and you've got to defend, you've got to uphold, you've got to give me strength because I don't have it in myself because I'm hurt and I'm angry. We need to ask for help. Then here's the last one. We need to keep short accounts. We need to keep short accounts. Ephesians 4, 26, Paul writes about anger. He says, be angry and do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. See what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't stay angry because when you're angry, you're giving the enemy an opportunity to control your life. And again, he's saying, listen, it's okay to be angry sometimes. It's never okay to stay in that place. And we can't be defined by anger. We can't hold on to anger that leads to bitterness. And we can't go days, weeks, months being angry about the same thing because then the issue is no longer the problem. We're the problem. And Paul is saying, keep short accounts, forgive, choose to do what love does. So as we close, I I just wanna close with this. Anger is really, really difficult because it's not a black and white issue. Here's what I'm hoping for coming out of this morning. I'm hoping that you're willing to wrestle with your anger. I'm not gonna tell you anger is always right or always wrong. You've gotta work on that with the Lord and through his spirit. But here's what I want for us as a church. I want us to, when we're angry, to be asking ourselves the question, is this rightly aimed? Is this justified? Am I honoring the Lord in my anger? We have to do the work to wrestle with it in the moment because if we don't, anger will control us. There's some of you, if you were honest, you walked in here angry and you're doing the nice church thing and you smile and wave to people in the hallways, but you can't stand the person you're sitting next to right now. Is anger a thing that's dominating you? Is it controlling your life? And if it is, there's help. And what I hope you see from Genesis 4 is God was willing to be there and engage with Cain and help. Cain just wouldn't listen. We need to make a better choice. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Um, God, I thank you for just your goodness and kindness to this church. 
God, we need your help. All of us are either coming out of a place of being angry or we're walking into a season where it's coming. It's part of the nature of the brokenness of our life. And God, we need your help to honor you in it. Would we look to Jesus as our example to even in our anger to honor you and to love and continue to engage? God, I just pray for people in this room, if anger is a stronghold in their life, that if it's out of control, that they would have the humility to repent of it and to confess and to seek help. We love you. Thank you for your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.